Here at Early Excellence, we specialise in early childhood education. We offer expert advice and guidance through training, consultancy and classroom design. With the Early Excellence podcast, we aim to inspire and support you as well as challenge your thinking. So if that's what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. Hello everybody, Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 89 of the Early Excellence podcast. In this week's episode, we're joined by Tamsin Grimmer. Now, Tamsin is an EYFS consultant. She's a writer, a lecturer, and an author as well. As part of our conversation, we talk about all sorts of different things, really. We talk about Tamsin's work and the books that she's written uh, and also contributed to. We talk about some key research also that has really influenced her work. It was a really interesting conversation. Um, and we also talk about something which is very central to her work, and that is, is her work around the loving pedagogy. So here you go. Here's my Early Excellence podcast chat with Tamsin Grimmer. So I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the podcast this week uh, by Tamsin Grimmer. Tamsin, hello, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, Andy. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Yes, not bad at all. We're recording this, aren't we, on the last day of the school year in July. Um, so I know we've, we've both set, sent our children off this morning. Uh, all, all of our children are exhausted, uh, my children uh, exhausted. I'm sure yours probably are as well. Looking forward to a lie-in next week, I think. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I'm <laughs> sure that's the same for lots of people who are listening to this as well. Um, so, Tamsin, we're going to talk all about all kinds of things, aren't we? We're going to talk about your work. You do such a lot of really interesting work. I think there's such a lot that is very specific that you talk about that I think is really interesting. So we're going to get into your work. Before we do that, um, would you mind just giving us a bit of an introduction? Would that be all right? Absolutely, yeah. So um, what I'll do is, is tell you a little bit of my journey into early years, if that's all right with you. Um, because I began as an early years teacher in schools, and then I worked for a while as an advisory teacher and area senko, and then early years consultant. So I was working with preschools and nurseries, childminders and schools, um, which was great because it, it was looking at supporting them with all aspects of their provision. Um, but then when I had my family, um, I went back to um, working with the children again and I became a childminder. And um, it was a brilliant chance for me to get back into practice with the children um, and to practice a bit of what I'd been preaching. I suppose. Um, but it was also at that time that I began a master's degree um, because I wanted to go back and study. Um, I'd, I'd looked at two aspects of research I know we're probably going to end up talking about today, which um, really interested me. And one was around Jules Page's concept of professional love. And the other was about Chapman and Campbell's love languages. And so I actually went back to university with the aim of studying love. So um, having a master's degree then opened some doors for me. And I've taught for many years at Bath Spire University, um, teaching teachers on their PGCE course. So I was working on the early years part of that. Um, but my next chapter, I've actually just left Bath Spa and I'm staying in higher education. I'm going to be working um, and teaching at Norland College in Bath. Um, that's the college that's widely known as, as being very um, 
prestigious training, I suppose, for nannies and childcare professionals. Um, and alongside all of this, <laughs> I have my own consultancy company as well, where I, I work with schools and preschools and nurseries and childminders again. Um, and I sometimes get to visit them, which is wonderful uh, to visit lots of educators in their settings. And um, I plan and deliver lots of training. So I love my job. I'm just really lucky. <laughs> and, and that definitely comes across. I think that comes across in your work. I think I think you talk a lot about love. And also, clearly, you love talking about it. You know, <laughs> I do. That kind of thing as well. Um, yeah, we bumped into each other, didn't we, um, a few months ago at uh, it was the Nursery World Show in London, wasn't it? Um, and we'd not met before. Um, and I'd seen your work, and but happened to just as we were coming out, I was just sort of, as we were queuing to leave the building, I just happened to look across, and there you were. <laughs> we got chatting, didn't we? And and uh, we we chatted a little bit then about you coming on the podcast. So I'm I'm really grateful that you that you've been able to do it and, and come and join us. Uh, Lovely so, yeah, to be invited, you. Andy. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, I noticed as well. I was I was reading up on the different things that you've done, and I noticed that there is a link between between yourself and two of the other people who've been on the podcast, um, which is always good. I'm always looking out for those sorts of links. Um, you um, have written um, a chapter for um, a book called um, Early Childhood Theories Today, which was a book that um, Ruth Swales uh, and Aaron Bradbury brought out within the last year or so. It's up for an award, isn't it? It's up for a, one of the nursery awards. I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, it must have been within the last year. So you, you wrote a chapter for it on Yuri Bronfenbrenner, and which strikes me as a really interesting chapter without giving too much away, because I'm always aware of that, without giving too much away. Can you tell us a little bit about Yuri Bronfenbrenner? Would that be okay? Absolutely. He's my favourite theorist, so I'm more than happy to talk about Bronfenbrenner. Um, it's not always a name that, that everybody's familiar with, um, but his work's really, really influential um, because he talks about how children's lives are are interconnected, really, and all the many different influences that there are on the child. So um, Bronfenbrenner came up with a theory um, which was called the ecological systems theory. Um, and later on, I think it, it was it was renamed um, again at, to the biological model. I hope I've got that right. <laughs> um, but um, often his, his theory is sort of demonstrated by co-centric rings um, moving outwards from the child. So he has the child very much at the centre of the rings. And then he looks at um, how there are so many different influences on a child. So the things nearest the child in the centre have the most direct impact. So that would be the, the family of the child. Maybe us as educators, if we're working directly with children, um, and then moving outwards, he talks about other influences that have a, a less direct impact. Um, so things like the, the media, for example, or the local community or even sort of even wider society and um, culture and political and economic climate and things like that. Um, but really, he's talking about how all of these influences are interconnected and and he talks about the importance of starting with the child in their own unique lived experiences if that makes sense um 
but I really, really love his theory. Well, you can probably tell that, but I love it for lots of reasons. First of all, because he has the child very firmly at the centre, which for me is really, really important in our practice that we always centre around our children. Um, but also his theory reminds me that we need to view children holistically. They're part of a family, they're part of a culture, they're part of society. Um, and relationships are really vital. He looks at the importance of relationships as well. And again, that's something, you know, it's a passion that I would share uh, as well. So um, I personally link this in with work around loving pedagogy, um, which is something that I've been researching myself. And I think it's almost like through adopting a loving pedagogy, um, what we're doing is putting Bronfenbrenner's theory into practice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, um, the thing that struck me about his work was that, first of all, I think it's really interesting in that, in that there is a thread there through all of the, the different um, concentric circles that you mentioned just before. There is a thread there that links so closely to practice as well. But, you know, for example, you know, the first one, um, which is um, he talks about, as you say, the immediate family and immediate experiences, the kind of, I think he talks about the microsystem. He gives all of these different parts names. So, yeah, he, he does. He says the microsystem's the bit nearest the child, absolutely. Yes. And it, it struck me that, that I think we can learn a lot from that in education, in that sometimes I think we talk a lot about, about not kind of trying to rush the process and trying to get into far more external things to the child rather than, actually the things that really matter to them and that really interest them. So, you know, I think, you know, for example, you know, in terms of, um, say, role play, you know, how often is it that we, that we are just content with having a domestic role play area because we know that actually that's what children will want to do. They are interested in their own lives. They're interested in their own relationships with their family and they're interested in making sense of all of that around them. Whereas, you know, how often do we then are we do we then feel under pressure to then get rid of that, change that, make it into a an aeroplane or a space station or a post office or a, something else that isn't within that immediate circle? You know what I mean? So yeah, I think there's almost a strand there that fits with practice as well. There absolutely is, yeah, because I think we we need to remember um, that the child is, you know they are the center of their own lives if that makes sense yeah, um, yeah, but we need to be tapping into that and using their lives as almost like as a resource to, yeah. to help us plan more appropriately for them and um, that's where I think using things like in the moment planning it or planning in the moment with children is actually really beneficial because what you're doing is starting with the child and going with them and what their ideas are and things like that so yeah it's, it's building a, a learning relationship isn't it that's key, which I'm sure is, is again part of, of what you'll talk about. Yeah, definitely. And, and then the other thing about his work that, that I again I found interesting in that it relates very closely to practice is that the the final one of the of of these circles, if you like, is about time. Is about is about the, the he calls it the the chrono system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's about time. That time has, and the, and also the historical period a child lives within. So, um, so not just time as in you know growing up time, if that makes sense. But children born obviously in the most recent time since twenty twenty have lived through an incredibly 
significant time historically. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting. We're going to literally have a COVID generation, aren't we? So, um, yeah, it, it's sort of even more relevant, if anything, now thinking about about that kind of system. So, yeah, yeah definitely. But, but And then also, again, I was thinking back to sort of the practice and that actually time in terms of practice is crucial and that time is is a resource really a valuable resource but we don't tend to see it as a resource you see what I mean that we 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 tend to sort of we tend to put lots and lots into our timetable you know it's one of those things that in education we do an awful lot of is adding more and more into a timetable too much perhaps (laughs) yeah too much whereas actually time is a valuable resource and and so again you could kind of link each of those each of those circles really to the to the impact on in terms of practice as well I think it makes us think about practice absolutely and there's there's a whole um uh, you know approach I suppose which is looking at slow pedagogy now isn't there and and looking at how you know can we try and and get get off that um hamster wheel for a bit with the children and, and actually try and and not hurry our children along so, I mean, that's definitely something your listeners might be interested in looking into, um, you know, this idea around slow pedagogies, because I think it's it's um, it's really important to allow children to be children in the moment. And, you know, I don't believe that childhood is always preparing children for the future. I think it's also about being in the present as well, which is really, really important. So, yeah. <laughs> We can strip things back and really, yeah, think. And and I think it gives us the chance to to really sort of refocus our own beliefs about the child. And one of the things I talk about is is having a reason for what you believe. You need to know what you believe about children and why you believe that. I think it's really important that you have principles behind your, whatever your approach is. You know, obviously I'm a big advocate for particular, you know, um, a loving pedagogy but I don't think that that has to go uh, be separate to uh, you know another approach I think it can underpin what we're doing um, and, and it's just the same idea really I think it's really important that people know what they're doing and why and that they base what they're doing on their principles as well yes <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah definitely no really interesting stuff so yeah the um the chapter which is within the book, Early Childhood Theories Today, is definitely well worth a read. In fact, the book itself is well worth a read. It's a great book, really good book. Um, in fact, talking about books, um, what I hadn't realised was how much of a prolific writer you are. <laughs> it's my therapy. <laughs> 
and me. I, I actually love writing and um, I really enjoy, yeah, I really enjoy writing. So I've written quite a few books now. <laughs> you like J.K. Rowling. Do you have written? I'm all on the go, actually. So speaking of Aaron Bradbury, um, we're both writing a book together, which is going to be around love and nurture. So that's one to look out for in the next year or two. Um, when we've nearly written it, but it takes a while to, you know, get them published. So it's... Uh, yeah, it won't be available yet, but I'm I'm writing another couple at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it is interesting writing in that I think it helps the process of writing helps you to make sense of it yourself. Do, do you see what I mean? I, and I think it works differently at different points in your career, perhaps, or at different points in your life. In that I think I think sometimes the process of writing helps you to draw draw the things together that are in different areas of your brain perhaps or kind of different areas of your of your life and you kind of make sense of it and you pull it together into chapters or you pull it together into things that link and then other times there's a there's a book in in you ready to be written because you've because you've talked about it so much that it's almost it will almost write itself Absolutely. i suppose that that was that was true of my loving pedagogy one because that that was something that I'd um, I I deliberately wanted to research and felt really really passionately about and so the book was kind of written before you know in my head before it was written if that makes sense so that's really interesting yeah um, it, it's my therapy writing <laughs> which is fantastic you must have a bookshelf at home <laughs> of, of your books. <laughs> Proudly on display, I guess. Right, no, it's fantastic. It's great. It is good, and I think a, a real sort of kind of feather in your cap, I think, to be able to talk about the books that, that you've written. Yeah, so, you, so you've written widely. Tell, tell us about the different books because they cover quite a, a range of different sorts of areas of practice, but at the same time have a a kind of a message flowing through them, don't they? They, they do. It's interesting because um, I was talking to someone recently about, about my work and how actually there is a thread sort of running through. And the, and the thread running through is about the child and the unique child and being keeping the child central to our practice and, and, um, and seeing things like their behaviours as communication. Those sorts of ideas run through all my books, really. So, um, but, but I think... Um, my more recent work, which I'm really, really proud of, is around um, obviously love, loving pedagogy, um, and also adopting a relational approach to supporting children's behaviour. Um, so I've looked at, you know, supporting children with self-regulation. So my colleague Wendy Jean and I wrote a book about nurturing self-regulation. And that, that book kind of really talks about how it, it's down to your ethos and your approach. And again, I've brought in a loving pedagogy into that because you know that's that's what I believe is an appropriate approach to take um and um you know another another book I've written recently is is um called supporting behavior and emotions and that's part of the little minds matters series um and that's just a really sort of easy to read dipinable book all around supporting children's behavior um but it's moving away from the kind of previous narrative of um behavior management and looking much more at 
you know, having relationships with the child at the centre of, of how we approach children's behaviour and seeing their behaviour as communicating their needs to us. Um, and then talking, you know, I talk about becoming a behaviour detective and trying to unpick why children might behave particular ways. Um, so the onus is then put on the adult and the way they're responding to children in, in trying to support the child rather than seeing the child as someone that we have to change uh, you know, it, it's thinking about how we can support them and promote them, um, which I think is a longer term goal, because, you know, in one sense, what it, it comes down to what you want for children. Um, you know, if we want children who will obey adults and, um, you know, sit down and keep quiet when we tell them to, that's one thing. But actually, if we want children who can think for themselves and um, and know right from wrong, but still choose right because they know it's the right thing that's something completely different. And so I think, you know, that's obviously what I would be striving for. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think it's really interesting. I, I think um, traditionally, like you say, I, I think that there have always been two sides to practice. There's been, and certainly when I think back to kind of when I started teaching, it was almost like you've got your teaching practice in terms of what it is you're teaching, how you're going to put this teaching across, this learning, how you're going to how you're going to embed that learning, and all of those sorts of things, and then alongside that, you've got the behaviour management, and it's almost like two two separate strands. So if I think back to kind of when I when I did my teacher training, and then probably I was observed as a as a young teacher then, there would probably have been kind of a, a sort of a document that whoever was observing, whoever came in to see to see my me, me teaching in my first year or so of teaching would probably have had one box to fill in, which would have been about the teaching and the learning and so on, and then another box, which would be about behaviour management. Whereas I think you're right, I think the most effective, in the most effective settings that I've worked and, and have been part of the practice or I've supported, it strikes me that actually the behaviour management isn't something that's separate. The behaviour management is part of the practice in that it's part of the relationships that staff build with children. It's part of the understanding of children. It's about understanding how, how they learn best. So, you know, and, and when they feel most comfortable or settled or whatever it might be. And, and so it's not a completely separate thing. I think it's about creating a positive learning climate and focusing on learning behaviors and that's where you can bring in things like those characteristics of effective learning because you know um, that that's about you know wanting children to be motivated if possible intrinsically motivated wanting to do something because they want to do it not because they might get a sticker at the end of it um you know and and I think it's about helping children to know what being a good learner is it's about being interested and um and you know curious I think being curious about the world that's a really great way to learn um and so as a teacher and as an educator we nurture those things so we nurture children's curiosity um and you know if we're if we're offering them a really stimulating learning environment, for example, there's going to be a lot less time for poor behaviour because the children are going to be interested, excited, motivated by what we're providing and engaged. And where you see engaged children, you don't tend to see children who are struggling with their behaviour unless there is an, a, a need of some kind, in which case we need to meet that need. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's sort of how, how my view is, I suppose, around around those areas.
No, but it's, it's absolutely right, though, isn't it? I think I think if you get the practice right, actually, usually the behaviour, for the most part, falls in within that. I mean, it is a big generalisation. <laughs> there are exceptions to every rule, <laughs> but it's definitely the place to start. I think you know the place to start is to think of supporting. It's a little bit like um, you know, in my work as an area senko, um, I used to talk about uh, using particular strategies with the whole group rather than just with individual children. So, for example using a visual timetable with the whole group, using sign language or, or makaton with the whole group, using visual cues with the whole group. Yes, there might be particular children that we think will, will really benefit from these approaches, but actually all children will. So it almost becomes a lot more inclusive then because what we're doing is, is we're setting up, you know, a, a positive learning climate that will support everybody. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, to a certain extent, it goes back to what you were just saying about um, um, Bronfenbrenner's work. You know that kind of idea of you know the sort of the close relationships, the the kind of the, the that making sure that actually those each of those circles, the needs within those circles are met to a certain extent. You know, absolutely. And that for me is actually where I bring in a loving pedagogy as well. Get just getting us back to that one. <laughs> um, because uh, for me, uh, you know, loving pedagogy is is centred around the child. It's when you want the very best for them. It's when you hold them and their needs in mind. Um, you know, when I'm thinking about love, I'm not just thinking about those lovely, warm, cosy feelings that we might have, you know, the emotion side. I'm thinking about action as well. Um, and so I'm looking at what we provide for our children and, and how we're supporting our children, how we're demonstrating our love as well. Um, and, you know, it, it becomes much bigger and wider. Um, and that's why I see it as a whole approach that actually underpins practice. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm interested, actually, was there a particular... Obviously, this is a big part of your work. The loving pedagogy, as we've said, kind of flows through such a lot of your work was there a particular point at which it sort of struck you did you have a kind of a, a sudden moment where you thought actually do you know what what that what really underpins all of this is what I'm going to call a loving pedagogy was there a moment where suddenly that appeared? I did um and yes there was <laughs> um basically um it was two things um, so first of all, it was um, went back to when I was childminding. And um, so we're talking quite a few years ago. Um, and I was um, also doing a tiny bit of work with Kingston University supporting at the time it was called Early Years Pro Pro um, Practitioner Status. So it was a, a long time ago that dates when this was. Um, but I was supporting some some people that that morphed into Early Years Teacher Status in, in later years. Um, so uh, Kingston University, a colleague there, sent me an article by Dr. Jules Page. And um, the article was asking the question, do, do mothers want professional educators to love their children? And it really resonated with me because um, I was not only an educator, I was a mother, a new, fairly new mother, and I was also a childminder at the time. So I felt like... Um, well, I was reflecting on it on all these different levels, I suppose. Um, and it was a real aha moment because I thought for me it was a resounding yes. I definitely want 
my child's educators to love her. In fact, I would have been, you know, quite horrified if they didn't love her. What's so wrong with my child that you can't love my child? You know, I think she's the best thing in the world ever. Um, so I, I was looking at all of that and then I was reflecting back on my time as a teacher and thinking in the classroom, did I love the children in my care? And then I thought, well, yes, I did. I don't know if I called it that at the time, but I definitely loved the children in my care. Um, was it the same love as the love I feel you know, now for my own children? No, it isn't. But it doesn't make it any less loving. It's still you know, love, if that makes sense. Um, when I was childminding, I very much loved the children that I was caring for on a daily basis. I'd been absolutely devastated if anything had happened to them. I was like their second mummy, if you like. Um, and I probably did call it love at that point. Um, I think childminding allows for a very close, intimate relationship with children, um, perhaps more so than you have when you're a class teacher. Um, and so, you know, I was really exploring this concept. And then at the same time, um, I found out about the work um, that Chapman and Campbell have done around love languages. Um, and they talk about how everyone likes to, to feel loved um, in different ways. So we might be loved, but actually we might have a way that we prefer to feel loved. So it's a bit like, um, I don't know, if 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 um, if my husband um, were to give me a beautiful bouquet of flowers um, on Valentine's Day, buy me, you know, 12 or whatever it is, long stem roses. Um, I might think that's absolutely wonderful. What an amazing token of love. Or I might think, what a waste of money. I'd much rather that we'd, you know, had a special takeaway and shared it together in the evening. You know, so there's sort of two ways to look at it. And different people would look at it different ways. So this idea around love languages is that that people do like to to you know, feel love in different ways. So they might feel loved when they're given a gift. They might feel loved if someone spends time with them. They might feel loved um, when someone does something for them. You know, if if um, if someone makes you a cup of tea, it might make you feel really loved. So there's lots of different ways that you might feel loved. And um, Chapman and Campbell talk about it in relation to parents and children. And they've also re um, talked about it in relation to teachers and children as well. And I was kind of taking this idea and relating it to, you know, early years educators and children and thinking um, if we can enable our children to feel loved, then actually they're going to be more ready to learn. Because when you're feeling loved, then it, it links in with the whole idea of, of being safe and secure. You know, love and belonging is part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, and so you know, all of that needs to be in place, really, before children are ready to learn. So I think it will have a knock on impact, um, you know, in, in the classroom and in the setting. And so linked with Jules Page's work, both of these things kind of really was an aha moment. It all happened at, at the same time for me, or within sort of a year, looking at all of these concepts. And um, and so that's when I decided to go back and go to university again and, and study. So I started a master's degree with the sole purpose, I suppose, of studying love. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a fan, it is a fascinating area because, as you say, it's it's very complex. You know, we, we, we use the word love to mean lots and lots of different things, don't we? And, 
and, and, and so there are subtle differences as well. And we only have one word. Of how we the word I think the difficulty is, because yeah. obviously in the English language, there is only one word that we use. You know, I might talk about loving chocolate. <laughs> but, and I might also talk about loving my children. I talk about loving my dog. You know, you talk about loving your job. I said that earlier, didn't I? But actually, they're all slightly different facets of the same thing. Um, and you could say they're different levels even, you know, but they're different intensities of feeling. I don't know. But it's it's tricky because we've just got the one word. I sometimes think the ancient Greeks had it right, Andy, because they obviously had lots of different words to describe love. And, um, you know, in one sense, it compartmentalises it a little bit. But in another sense, it, it, it allows for more freedom of interpretation of what love means, you know. So, um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm interested as well. You know, we were, you were just mentioning a little bit about that, the, the, the difference in relationship between being, say, a childminder and that perhaps you were able to have that more of a kind of a close, loving relationship with the children and that sort of, and possibly with the family, you know, as part of that, and that that would be different as a teacher or could be different as a teacher. I, I think, I wonder whether there is a sort of, almost like a sort of historical pressure in, in, in your relationship with children or our relationship with children as a, as a teacher. You know, there's, you know how you sometimes hear People certainly used to say, certainly when I started teaching, people used to say things like, you know, don't smile till Christmas kind of thing. You know, that sort of, you know, that kind of, that, that sort of implying that you need a distance first kind of idea. And, and it didn't really apply, of course, to early years education, but it kind of gives you an idea of, of, of kind of where some people would come at it from, that they would come at it from a distance point of view. And that there was... Perhaps I think sometimes as well it's been implied that that if you have too much of a closeness there in terms of your relationship with children, that that you won't that there won't be that authority perhaps. You, you, know, you give with one side, but you're losing one part of your practice. I, and I, I do. So I see make, exactly what you mean, Andy. And I think this is where it overlaps such a lot with with my work around behaviour and and like we were just our discussion around behaviour management earlier on, because um, there is, I believe, a misconception um, that means if if you are uh, friendly with your class you will lose their respect and you won't be able to control their behavior and blah 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 um and if we want to see it as a controlled thing then i suppose that it that there are elements of truth within that but i don't think that you would lose children's respect i think the opposite happens and i think actually um if you are a kind loving um teacher who wants to build a relationship with their class then actually you will gain the children's respect and I think when you gain the children's respect they are more likely to to want to you know follow your instructions and perhaps dare I say it do what you say um but not because they're fearful of you but because they're in a relationship with you and they respect you which for me is a much better place to start from. So I think it, it is down to relationship. All of it's down to relationship, really. So, um, yeah, I think in early childhood, we are freer <laughs> than perhaps some colleagues in schools may feel. Um, but I don't think, um, I think we can have a loving approach working with children of any age. Um, and, I, and I think we should have a loving approach. And I don't think that it, it isn't a, 
you know, it's not a cosy option. I, I don't think it means that we remove all the boundaries. I think it's important that we keep boundaries in place with children. I think, you know, uh, routine and boundaries are really important. Um, having some rules that the children may need to follow even, you know, I don't think it's about throwing out all of that, letting the children get, um, you know, have everything they ask for all the time. No, of course it isn't. about <laughs> You know, it's not laissez-faire kind of style. Um, it's it's about um, building a relationship and then trying to have um, open conversations with children about what's what's best for them in conversation with them, so that their children aren't, aren't done unto, but they're all. It's like you know, it's it's kind of down to co-construction, isn't it? Be, working with the children if we can on their level, <laughs> and you know, respecting them as a person in their own right, really. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They, I mean, also, I think the practice overall benefits in that the, you get the relationships right, and I think the rest of the practice actually can build on a, a solid foundation. Then, one of the things I often say is that you know, if we're up, if we're aiming for um, effective interactions, you know, which of course at the moment is such a hot topic, that idea of you know communication and language, and, and the role of the adult is such a hot topic, isn't it, at the minute? And I always always say that actually, you know, if you're trying to just have effective interactions, if you're just trying to go in with this these super skills of being an, of somebody who is great at having these interactions with young children, then yes, you'll go along with these this super set of skills. But if you're going into that without having built the relationships first of all, the children will let you know that that isn't going to work. They will tell you. They will show you straight away. They'll show you up, really. You know. So if you if you think that you can kind of stand and deliver at the carpet, you know, a whole class session, which of course is part of what we do and a, and a valid part of what we do, and then and then from that to the group table and be the teacher at the group table, and then think, well, actually, I've got a little bit of time. I don't normally do this, but I'm gonna. I'll go and I'll go and be alongside some children, and I'll go and engage with them. Then, when you do, they are likely to move away from you, because actually your relationship with them is built around the directed teaching, and it's a different relationship. And if you haven't built both sides to this relationship, then actually I think the children will tell you that actually they're not yes. that comfortable. Because they don't quite know where yeah. this is going. Absolutely. Is what's mean? And it can be as simple as noticing things about the children's lives, talking to them about their interests, um, smiling, getting down to their level. You know, we 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 often do get down to their level, but we you know we do need to physically be down on their level as much as possible. You know, it's it's what it's it's not just what you're doing; it's also how you're doing it as well. But yeah, it's really important to build those build those relationships this is interesting the other thing that it strikes me as well is that in order to do what we're talking about here to have the loving pedagogy it almost works in two ways so i i'm just i was just saying that and you were saying as well that actually it provides the foundation for practice and so the, be the best practice is built on that loving pedagogy that solid foundation and and children being feeling secure and loved and all of those things, those really important things. But also I think it can it works the other way a little bit in that if 
if the practice isn't working, it's very hard to get the loving relationship. So it kind of you can kind of flip, turn it on its head. So you could say, well, actually, if the if the if the earliest classroom and outdoor area are really hard to manage, if when if we're struggling to manage it, if we're struggling to manage the timetable, if we're struggling to 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 manage the outdoor area because it's so big and there's such a lot of things going on, and I'm 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 kind of I'm, I'm a bit um, anxious because I'm not sure what's happening, and I'm not you know you know I'm not I'm not as, as an adult, I, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable or whatever it might be, then actually that adult isn't going to be able to have the loving relationships that we've talked about. So it also goes the other way. It, it does really. Sense? I think it's, I think adopting a loving approach, um, it, it's almost like um, it, it can either, what am I trying to say? It can either um, underpin your practice and you build your practice upon it or it can almost be your practice, if that makes sense. It's kind of it's kind of both. But I think if you're struggling um, with with a group of children, then getting that loving relationship right will enable it will open more doors, if that makes sense. It will help. You know, if you start spending quality time with your children, look at their interests, hold the children in mind, show a genuine interest in their lives, all of those sorts of things. I think that the knock on impact of that is going to be that they obviously will will feel um, more that sense of belonging. They'll feel loved. They'll want to be in your classroom or in your setting, and um, and actually, it will then overcome the the problem, if we can call it that, that you may have had in the first place, which was you know struggling to support this group of children. I think it will kind of <laughs> it will sort out. <laughs> Well, it also strikes me that the loving pedagogy is not is also not just about the classroom practice to a point, but also about the, the school or the, yeah, the setting. It's, very it's yeah, the whole absolutely. thing, isn't it? Because because the adults in the room need to feel secure and loved and not anxious or stressed, which I know is one of those, you know, that's that's such a hard thing to manage, isn't it? But you see what I mean? In order that actually they can properly engage with the children, they can really have that loving relationship. It should permeate all aspects of our provision from from our, our you know ethos from um, you know all members of staff whether you're the cleaner or you're you know or you're a committee member or or you're whoever you are that's involved with the setting you know it should permeate everywhere really it's you know part of the whole fabric of the being of the setting if that makes sense yeah yes yeah yeah no absolutely um, if if people want to know more or if they want to get started on a loving pedagogy, where do um, we start? Well, obviously, you're welcome to, to find out a bit more about my work. <laughs> you can you can look at my website. It's just my name, tamsingrimmer.com. And then I do have a section on loving pedagogy. So you'd be welcome to sort of look up um, that um, and obviously read, read any of my work. But there's lots of free blogs on the on the website as well um but i think um the the place to start is really with the children so um you know get to know your children really really well and um reflect upon your relationship with them um and and really think about how you build those positive relationships and secure attachments um 
with with the children and families. I think that's the other thing we haven't really had time to talk about family today either, Andy. But um, you know, I think that's that's really important. And um, I think that um, a, a loving pedagogy is an approach that many many teachers, educators, practitioners they already have. You know, part of what I'm doing, I think, is kind of naming it, validating what they're doing almost giving permission if you like for professionals to use the term love with the children in their care so you know a good first step is 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 really um kind of defining a loving pedagogy for you in your own practice so i i personally think it's important to link that in with policy as well because i think that's that's really helpful particularly around areas like um safeguarding positive touch consent again things we haven't had a chance to talk about today but uh, maybe that's one for another day Andy (laughs) these are all big areas aren't they big topics I think you know that are almost a sort of podcast in their own right you know kind of they're a discussion in their own right um I I, when you were talking about on your website um in the lead up to to chatting to you I had a look on the website and one of the blogs I thought was great you'd written uh, well they're all great but um, (laughs) the one particular one that really stood out was um was one about top tips oh, for a loving, loving pedagogy, pedagogy. Yes, yeah. that, that you'd written that I think people will find really, really, really interesting and, and also really helpful as well. Um, yeah, you'd mentioned on it physical touch, which of course is such a difficult area, isn't it? Again, such a complex area. But, you know, when when we're thinking about kind of actually, you know, what's right, what's what feels right. You know, the, and, and and also for adults to feel that they're protected as well. Yeah, to it can be quite problematic, I suppose, really, as an area. But I think it's it's something that educators need to think about in detail. Um, and uh, you know, I think it's it, it's important that we've thought it through, talked it through, and decided what our approach is. Um, I, I think, obviously. Um, touch is vital there's a lot of research um you know we haven't really got time to go into it all but um you know there's a lot of research that tells us how vital touch is um for children and their development um but so is thinking about consent and thinking about safeguarding so i think it's you know it it comes as one sort of massive package that people need to unpick and think about um but it's definitely an area that that they that in my view they should explore (laughs) absolutely yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really, really interesting to talk to you, Tamsin. It's been it's been great. Just I mean, I know we haven't had enough time to really to sort of go into lots of detail because it is such a big area, isn't it? You know, it's it's such a and, and complex area as well. You know, almost as soon as you are definite about something, you kind of there's another which is what makes it fascinating, there's another question, isn't there? You know, yes. there's another aspect that you think, well actually no, it's a bit like when we were talking about that kind of the foundation that that is the foundation, and it is, but it's also you can't get to that unless the practice is working yeah. as well. So it's yeah. hand yeah, in hand. It's, it's really <laughs> complex. Yeah, no, it's been fascinating to chat to you. Thank you so much for for joining us. Um, so yeah, I I obviously would would absolutely recommend Tamsin's work. Tamsin, um, you, you're 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 um. Far too much of a humble person to, to kind of really, to blow your own trumpet, but your work's really, I think, so important, oh, really, really important. I think, you know, we don't talk about love and the loving pedagogy and the relationships that we have, I think, enough. So, you know, I certainly absolutely wholeheartedly recommend, you know, if people are looking for a place to start, 
um, go to Tamsin's website, go and have a look at her books because and her blogs because they they are fab. Thank you. Um, yeah, you do some. Re- I think you do such a lot of really important work. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So there you go. Thank you very much to Tamsin for joining us on the podcast this week. A really interesting and also enjoyable discussion. Uh, We talked about all sorts of things there, didn't we? From research to Tamsin's work as well and the playful pedagogy. There's all sorts of things there, I think, to really get you thinking. If you want to know more about Tamsin's work, um, her website is really informative. Go to tamsingrimmer.com to find out more about all sorts of things that Tamsin talks about really passionately. Um, So yeah, um, also she's written, Tamsin has written a wide variety of different books as well about practice and about supporting practice. Um, So again, they're well worth looking into. Um, In terms of early excellence news, um, our new inside out range of videos and support materials are proving to be really popular with schools and settings. Um, So I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, um, there are a range of videos, support materials, planning guides, all sorts of different things to support you. Uh, Online materials so that you can access them very easily wherever you happen to be. Uh, You can find out more all about them. Find out more uh, by visiting the Early Excellence website. Okay, that's about it for this week, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Take care and we will see you next week. Mm -hmm.